0: chapter 5 Micah chapter 5 and we're going to be thinking particularly today about Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. I'm sure you've had the experience of seeing or hearing something that triggers what we call a a deja vu. Uh, We know we've heard that or seen that somewhere before but we can't quite place where it was. Uh, Or maybe you've had the experience of being introduced to someone and for the first second or two you think you've never met them before, you've never seen them, but then as you talk or you have a closer look at them, you realize that you have actually met them somewhere before. Uh, You might have had that experience as you heard the words of Micah chapter 5 verse 2 read today, but you Bethlehem Ephrathah who are too little to be among the clans of Judah from you shall come forth for me. One who is to be ruler in Israel. And you might have thought to yourself, where have I heard those words before? I maybe couldn't have said that they were from Micah chapter 5 verse 2, but I've definitely heard them somewhere. Well, as we've just seen, obviously, they're quoted in Matthew chapter 2, in a far better known passage of scripture. As King Herod frets over the news from the Magi that a king has been born in Judea. In fact, a lot of people in our country have probably heard the words of Micah chapter 5 verse 2 at least once a year for almost all of their lives without ever realizing that they were hearing the words of Micah chapter 5 verse 2. Time taken to reflect on the arrival of Jesus, the Son of God, into our world is always time well spent, whether it's in December or July. But in the Christmas season, sometimes portions of God's word are read and they're soon forgotten because little or no explanation is given to them and they just become familiar words, a bit of a deja vu. I've heard that somewhere before, but I've never really stopped to think what they mean. And that's one of the reasons why I've chosen to preach from Micah chapter 5 this morning so that some of these very familiar sounding words will get more of our attention and hopefully of our understanding. Another word that might trigger deja vu for you at this time of year is the word advent. Advent simply means arrival or coming, particularly the arrival or coming of an important person, an important event. And I'm sure boys and girls, some of you like in our house, there's been an advent calendar and you've been working your way through it. And sadly, the advent calendar is starting to look pretty empty. If it's one of one of those advent calendars with some chocolate inside it. There's not much chocolate left. But advent is a way of talking about the fact that something is coming or someone is coming that's really important. And the scriptures tell us about not one but two advents of the Lord Jesus Christ. People use the Christmas season to focus on his first advent, his birth, but the scriptures tell us just as much about his second advent because Jesus is going to come again in a very different way to how he came the first time. And so the, today, this morning and this evening, I want us to divide our time thinking about the two advents of Jesus. Uh, this morning, we're going to consider a Micah chapter five, Christ's first advent. And then this evening, we'll consider his second coming, his second advent thinking this morning then about Christ's first coming and there are three things to notice about it from Micah chapter 5. First of all we learn today that Christ's coming, his first advent was promised. It was promised. To fully understand the words of Micah chapter 5 verse 2, words that again we've likely heard many times, we need to think about when and why these words were first used at all. As I mentioned earlier, earlier, uh, Micah was a prophet living uh, just over 700 years before Jesus was born. In 722 BC, the the northern kingdom of Israel, the 10 tribes who had broken away from Jerusalem, uh, that kingdom, as I said earlier, was invaded and it was overthrown by Assyria. Assyria was the superpower nation of the day. It was the nation that was on the rise and on the move But this was punishment from God for the sins of the kingdom of Israel. And this was something that God had promised through his prophets time and time again. He had warned his people for decades that if they remained disobedient to him, if they continued to worship idols, then he would severely and ultimately defeat them by his enemies. And after conquering the 10 tribes of Israel, the Assyrians immediately set their sights on the southern kingdom of Judah, with the capital of Jerusalem. And the Assyrians mounted an attack on Jerusalem in 701 BC. And you can read more about that attack and about that battle in Isaiah chapter 36 to 39. But look at what Micah says here in chapter five, verse one. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops, siege is laid against us with a rod they strike the judge of israel on the cheek and the judge of israel there could just mean the ruler of israel the king of israel and a strike on the cheek is a is a mark of you know shaming someone of showing utter disrespect toward them what the prophet's simply saying here friends is that god's people are under serious threat the enemy is at the gate The enemy is coming, Assyria. The people of Judah would have been absolutely terrified at the prospect of Assyria coming to attack them. The Assyrian army was massive. It was savage. It was composed of mercenaries, rapists, and baby killers. They were the most savage uh, army in history at that time. They were undefeated on the battlefield. And when they came to lay siege to Jerusalem, Micah's words here Came to pass because the leader of Assyria, Sennacherib, he taunted Hezekiah, the king of Judah. <coughs> Isaiah chapter 36. He metaphorically struck Hezekiah on the cheek. He essentially said to Hezekiah, Do you really think that you, puny little Judah, will be able to stand against us, the mighty Assyrians? We've defeated far bigger armies than yours. And we are going to defeat you as well. Judah was tiny. Assyria was huge. Assyria was led by ambitious, impressive kings and generals. The kings of Judah were almost entirely a fool's parade of failures. It seemed a hopeless situation. But then comes Micah chapter 5 verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. Look at verse four. He shall stand, this ruler of Israel, shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And so in the face of this, what seems overwhelming threat from Assyria, friends, a ruler for Judah is promised, a mighty king and a faithful shepherd. And to some extent, really to a very small extent, the king of the time, Hezekiah, fulfilled these words in that under Hezekiah, Jerusalem was delivered from the threat of Assyria, but Really, that was through God's grace. It was a miraculous delivery of God that Hezekiah and Judah were not defeated by the Assyrians. And the description here in Micah is very intentionally looking beyond their present circumstances. Uh, Micah's words here look beyond Hezekiah and other kings like him. And the words of Micah 5 verse 2, friends, are very intentionally meant to remind the readers of King David It says that this ruler will be born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem was David's hometown. It says he will be a shepherd as well as a king. Just as David had been both a shepherd of sheep and then became the shepherd king of Israel. But notice also in verse 2 it says, From you shall come forth for me. From you shall come forth for me. That's virtually identical language to 1 Samuel 16, verse 1. When God sent the prophet Samuel to Bethlehem to anoint David as king in place of King Saul, God said to Samuel, I have provided for myself a king from among Jesse's sons. I have provided for myself a king. And so, friends, what God is saying here through Micah is that a new David The son of David is coming, that he will be born and he will be a ruler that no enemy, not Assyria, not Babylon, not anyone else will be able to stand against. There is a new David coming. Now this promise doesn't change the fact that when God's people face punishment for their sins, look at verse 3. He shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. And that language of God giving them up uh, means that they will be defeated by their enemies. And we know that ultimately that's what happened. The, The Assyrians didn't conquer Jerusalem. As I said, God delivered his people from Assyria. But several years later, Jerusalem was invaded and destroyed by the Babylonians who killed many of the Jews and took many others into exile. Because of the sin of the Old Testament people of God he gave them up for a time but not forever and again friends Micah is looking further ahead beyond all of this he's looking beyond the defeats to Assyria and Babylon he's looking to the time of the arrival of the greatest ruler in the history of Israel a ruler who would never be defeated by his enemies Again, here's the promise. Micah 5 verse 2. Bethlehem Ephrathah from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel. Some of us are so familiar with the story of Jesus' first advent that we fail to appreciate the how incredible it is that Jesus should have been born the way he was at the time that he was in perfect fulfillment of dozens, dozens, friends, of God's ancient promises, including this promise through Micah, 700 years before Jesus was born. In fact, as you read through the Old Testament, you see the promise of salvation through this chosen one repeated time and time again. And it gets more and more specific as the the promises mount up Genesis 3, 15, we're told that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. That no sooner had Adam and Eve fallen into sin than God had promised a way for their sin to be dealt with. And for a victor, a hero, a savior to come. Then we get to Abraham. And God says through Abraham, through your offspring, singular, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So this chosen hero, this saviour, will come through Abraham's line. And then we get to King David. And in 2 Samuel 7 verse 16, God promises David, your house, your house, David, and your kingdom shall be established forever before me. <coughs> and then Isaiah, ministering at the same time as Micah, he says in Isaiah seven fourteen the virgin shall be with child and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And then we get to the New Testament. And in Matthew chapter one and Luke chapter two, Jesus, a son of Judah, is born in Bethlehem, born to a virgin, born into the line of David. It's incredible, friends, that all these promises spanning decades were perfectly fulfilled in the coming of Jesus Christ. See God's word, the Bible was not written in a committee of the church in the first century AD. It wasn't that three or four or five or six men sat down and just wrote it all and over one night wrote it all together and made it all up. It was written down over a period of 1500 years by roughly 40 different authors and all kinds of places, all kinds of circumstances, and yet we find all of it, all the promises, all the prophecies in perfect agreement and everything that God promised coming to pass. And friends, we do the Lord Jesus Christ a disservice. We dishonor him if we just listen to words about him routinely without actually considering what they mean. Without pausing to worship the God who promised them and who spoke them. And so when we hear Micah chapter 5, verse 2 read, whenever we hear it read, we should remember we have a God who keeps his promises. We have a God worthy of our trust and worthy of our worship. In, the, in a world, as I was saying earlier during the prayer, a world of so many empty promises, so many broken promises. We worship a God who has kept his promises perfectly. And if you choose to take time to reflect on Christ's first advent this week, be encouraged by that, that God keeps his promises. Be encouraged by this as you pray for the salvation of your children, that God keeps his promises. Be encouraged by this as you pray against the anxiety or the exhaustion that would sap your Christian joy. Be encouraged as you perhaps spend the holidays without a loved one this year. Take comfort in the promises God has made concerning them and concerning Christ's second advent that we'll consider together this evening and all the the hope and joy that that will bring. Friends, the first coming of Christ into the world is a wonderful reminder that our God keeps his promises so Christ's first advent, it was promised, but secondly, this morning, notice that it was puzzling. It was puzzling. It was strange. It wasn't what people expected. Verse 2 again, Bethlehem, Ephrathah. Uh, the word Ephrathah there just distinguishes this Bethlehem from any other Bethlehem there may have been. Uh, sometimes you find this, that there are two different places that have the same name. Uh, you might even be aware that there's a Drumore in County Tyrone as well as a Dremor in County Down. Ours is by far the superior Dremor, but there are two Dremors. And there may, have been, there may have been more than one Bethlehem, but this is specifying the Bethlehem in Judea, in the land of Judah. And yet a less appropriate place for a king to be born you could hardly have found. Now the second line of verse two says, Bethlehem is too little to be among the clans of Judah. What does that mean? Well, in the book of Joshua, we're told how once the people finally arrived in the promised land, after God brought them all the way through the Exodus and 40 years in the desert, uh, they came to the promised land, they conquered the promised land, or, or they began to conquer it. And the promised land was divided up amongst all the tribes of Israel. And Joshua chapter 15 lists 115 of the largest towns and cities that belong to the tribe of Judah. 115 is pretty extensive. If you were to write down the 115 biggest towns and cities of Northern Ireland, you would probably have most of the population covered. But Bethlehem Ephrathah was so small, so insignificant, that it didn't even make the list of the top 10, 115 towns and cities in the land of Judah. A small, insignificant, blink-and-you-miss-it type of little place maybe you've taken a long road trip at some point in your life and on long road trips you you find those places those sort of strange looking little places where you think I'm just going to fill the petrol tank here and get out as quickly as I can it doesn't look as if there's anything interesting here in fact everything looks a bit weird and I'm just going to get out of here as quickly as I possibly can not the sort of place you're aiming to get to just the sort of place you have to travel through to get to the place you really want to be in Well, that was Bethlehem, Ephrathah. Not a very important place. Not a place with too many attractions. Nothing that would cause you to pull over for any longer than you needed to. And yet, friends, this is the place of the arrival of the Savior of the world. This would have been shocking news to the first listeners to Micah's prophecy. No way is Bethlehem going to provide a king who can defeat the Assyrians or the Babylonians or whoever else rises up against us. No way is Bethlehem going to provide a king to restore our kingdom and make us the greatest kingdom in the world. How puzzling that in this unremarkable little place, something so remarkable could happen. And it was still puzzling people 700 years later you remember the Magi who went out looking for the king of the Jews and followed the star? Well, where did they go when they saw the star rise in the east? They, they went to Jerusalem. Because Jerusalem was the city, the, the great city of the kings of Judah. The city of King David and all his descendants. The city where there was a current a king, a present king of the Jews. Or at least he liked to call himself a king, Herod, ruling Yet the Magi arrived and there was no new king to be found. The Magi were puzzled by this. King Herod was petrified by this. Turns to his advisors and says, what's this all about? Where's this Messiah supposed to be born anyway? One of his advisors rummages through his scrolls and eventually finds Micah chapter 5 verse 2. Here it is in black and white. Bethlehem in Judea is where the Messiah is to be born. How puzzling that he would be born in that little backwater instead of in the the palaces or the temple courts of Jerusalem. And yet when you know how the God of creation and the God of history and the God of salvation works, friends, it's not so puzzling that Jesus was born in in a nowhere little village because our God chooses the unremarkable places. God chooses the neglected places and the neglected people. God opposes the proud and the wealthy and the famous and the and the popular. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. When the Messiah was finally born, the rulers in Jerusalem, the establishment in Jerusalem, they were living in the same kinds of sins as the rulers in Micah's day were. They were idolatrous. They were religious without having any real relationship with God. They were greedy. They were proud. They were hypocritical. They were idolatrous. King Herod, of course, we know was a very wicked king, ruling over a field corrupt Jewish establishment. And God will not share his glory with the pompous the corrupt the emptily religious instead god revealed himself to the humble virgin mary and to the humble carpenter joseph and to the humble town of bethlehem the backwater the tiny insignificant little place god chose to give them the first advent of jesus christ as the writer says of bethlehem are the hopes and fears of all the years are met in you. Or Paul says in 1 Corinthians one twenty-seven: God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. We live in a world full of boasting, don't we? People are eager to point to their achievements or the achievements of their political party or their favorite team or their children. Social media can become little more than a platform upon which we clamber up and sing our own praises. And many people in our community today probably think that they're good enough to earn their place in the kingdom of God. We've been thinking about this through John's sermon series in Luke chapter 6. And yet Jesus came along and he turned the values of the world upside down. And he so clearly said, wealth won't save you from your sins. Status won't save you from your sins. Being a generally nice and kind person won't save you from your sins. Nothing will except humble, repentant trust in Jesus Christ who came into the world to save sinners and who did something so puzzling and foolish as to die so that we could live, to be punished, so that we could be blessed. And so friends, the first coming of Christ reminds us not only that God keeps his promises, but that the way of Christ and following Christ and salvation in Christ, it's the way of humbling ourselves. It's the way of forgetting about ourselves. It might even be the way of obscurity for now but it leads to glory in the end. And so the first coming of Christ was promised. It was puzzling. And thirdly and finally today, it was purposeful. It was purposeful. There was a great purpose in the first advent of Christ. Look at the second half of Micah chapter five, verse two. From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel whose coming forth is of old from ancient days. Verse two again reinforces the point that the Messiah is to be born into David's line. That's at least part of what is meant here by the words, his coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. It's saying that the Messiah will be born into an ancient family, David's family. But that phrase, coming of old from ancient days, it also speaks to the fact that God himself, friends, is eternal, is eternal that however ancient <coughs> however ancient the family line of david was it was after all a family line created by god who has had no beginning and will have no end and so surely we're getting at least a hint here that this messiah has eternal origins this messiah himself is from everlasting to everlasting think again of the words of Isaiah a contemporary of Micah's Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 for to us a child is born and his name shall be called wonderful counselor mighty God everlasting father prince of peace mighty God everlasting everlasting Isaiah makes even more explicit what Micah is surely hinting at here, that the Messiah to come, he will come in human form. He will be a human king. He will be human in every way, but he is also divine. His origins are from all eternity, and he comes, friends, with divine purpose, with divine purpose. What was the purpose of Christ's first advent of his being born in Bethlehem? look Look at Micah 5, verse 4. He shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, not by human strength, but by God's strength, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Here's the one who will bring true peace, friends. That was the purpose of Christ coming into the world. Not to bring political peace. Not to bring man-made peace that can be so fragile and is so prone to change. Jesus Christ was born to bring true peace. Paul says in Romans 5 verse 1, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember the angels announced to the shepherds, Peace on earth among those with whom God is pleased. The first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ was to shepherd his people and to bring them peace through providing a way for the forgiveness of our sins. And notice, by the way, the Messiah fulfills these purposes to please God, not man. Again, verse 2, From you shall come forth for me. That's God speaking. He's saying, this king is coming and he is carrying out my will. He is doing the things that I have sent him to do. He is bringing glory to my name. And Jesus made this very clear all throughout his life. He said in John chapter 6, verse 38, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. For this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. Friends, Jesus came not just to be born, not just to live, but to die. That was the will of the Father in heaven. And we do need to be careful in the midst of this season, which is such a blessing to us in so many ways, but let's not, be, let's not over-sentimentalize things because a baby born in a manger Who then just lives happily ever after that's a nice story but it doesn't solve the world's problems it doesn't give us lasting joy and peace but the baby born in the bethlehem manger is not the end of the story that baby grew up that baby became a man and that man obeyed god and carried out the mission that god had given him He died in our place for our sin. He shepherds his people, ruling as a perfect king, a king who will one day come again. And so the first advent of Christ, friends, had this great purpose to accomplish the plan of God, to save the people of God, to bring peace between God and his people by the offering up of himself on the cross. And he is the only savior that we need. Look at Micah chapter five, verse five. When the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our palaces, then we will raise against him seven shepherds. You know by now the significance of the number seven, the number of perfection and completion. Seven shepherds and eight princes of men. So we have the number of seven, the number of completeness, the number eight, more than seven, more than enough. And friends, that's what what we're being told here about the Messiah to come, that he will be more than enough for us, more than enough to defeat our enemies, whether that be uh, Assyria or Babylon or anyone else. Our enemies today of Satan, sin and death, our Messiah has defeated them as well. Again, friends, Micah is looking far into the future. He's telling us what the ultimate outcome of the Messiah's arrival will be peace with God and the defeat of all our enemies even the enemies of Satan sin and death and that's exactly what's being celebrated all across the world today that the son of David the one born in Bethlehem Ephrathah that he has come that he has lived that he has died and he has risen again and he is more than enough for us he is a more than perfect shepherd a more than perfect king, a more than perfect savior. 700 years before he arrived, here's the promise of his coming and here's the purpose of his coming. And here's the challenge for you and I today. Do we believe these things? Does this truth, is this where we find our greatest joy? As I said earlier, we've spent the week hearing Doomsday headlines and people worried, people panicking, leaders not knowing what to do, scientific advisors not knowing what to do. Here's our peace. Here's our hope. Here's our joy that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Do you believe that? Do you treasure that more than anything else, boys and girls, more than anything else you might get this week? Do you treasure the gift of Jesus Christ coming into the world to save sinners. Our mighty God, our Prince of Peace. You, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, amen.